You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. I'm your host, Keith Budden. And as always, I'd like to start with welcoming our new listeners. And we have new listeners this week from London, Birmingham, Biddeford in Devon, Plymouth, Slough, Coventry, Harrow in Middlesex, Warrington, East Lansing, Canterbury, Sirencester, Chelmsford, Horsham, Milton Keynes, Wigan, Salisbury, Irvine, Edinburgh. And then moving over to Europe, we have uh, new listeners in Hamburg in Germany, in The Hague in the Netherlands, in Vastmanland in Sweden, in Zealand in Denmark, in Bengaluru in India, New Delhi in India, and also Noida Upper Pradesh in India. Uh, in the Far East, we now have listeners in Singapore. In South America, we now have listeners in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And in the USA, we now have listeners in New Jersey, Orange, Denver, Chicago and Boardman. But also our new listeners, and we've got existing listeners all over the world, and a warm welcome to all of you. As always, I'm very grateful for you taking the time to listen to the GDPR Weekly Show. And in a few moments, I'll be updating you with what's in this week's episode. Check us out on Facebook. So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have a update on the major data breach at British Airways. And right at the end of that article, we have a real stop press item on the data breach at British Airways. So do make sure you listen to that article right to the end. Then we have an article on another travel company, Stenoline. Uh, Stenoline uh, this week have had a data breach in their employee data. And so we cover that and the implications of that. And then as part of that, I follow on with an article on the fact that GDPR is a whole company issue and why that's important. Following up on that, we have an article about the Data Protection World Forum which is coming to Excel in London in November. And then we move on to look at some implications for the use of location data highlighted by some rulings from the French equivalent to our ICO. And then we conclude this week's episode with a look at phishing attacks. So quite a very bag this week. And in a few moments, we'll start with the updates on British Airways. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So we begin this week with a update on British Airways. If you were listening to last week's episode, you'll know that we covered quite a significant data breach at British Airways where it's believed that data on up to 380,000 transactions has gone missing. A company called Risk IQ have claimed to have identified the malicious code which was injected into the British Airways website and therefore which it's believed could be the cause of the recent data breach. The interesting thing though is that Risk IQ if they're correct, are saying that the data breach began in late August, which is a little earlier than BA said the data breach had occurred from. So it may be that the actual number of transactions affected by this data breach 
over the course of time will be found to be higher than the initial estimate of 380,000. And it's also notable that RiskIQ analysed in depth an earlier data breach at Ticketmaster on the Ticketmaster website and found that the code this time was very similar to the code that had been used by a group called Magicart against Ticketmaster, but that it had been bespoke, that it had had some changes made to it to make it fit more completely within the British Airways website, which suggests that you know, we've got some very clever people behind this Magicart skimmer, which is taking people's data uh, away from the website. Mr. IQ said, in a statement, this particular skimmer is very much attuned to how British Airways payment page is set up, which tells us that the attackers carefully considered how to target this site instead of just blindly injecting some regular Magitart skimmer code. The infrastructure used in this attack was set up with British Airways in mind and purposely targeted scripts that would blend in with normal payment processing, so helping to avoid detection. Now, Unfortunately, this isn't just affecting British Airways. Hacks like this uh, make use of an increasingly common phenomenon in which large websites embed multiple pieces of code from other sources or third-party suppliers that they can track what's happening, they can track what we're buying, they can track where we're from and what we're doing. But all these injections of other code obviously provide opportunities for less scrupulous people to inject code which gets them the data that they want. And in BA's case, we now know that the hackers stole names, they stole email addresses, they stole credit card details, in tru crucially with the credit card details, including the long number, the expiry date, and the three-digit CVV security code. So everything they would need to use that credit card information on another website. And so it's going to be a major inconvenience for any BA passenger who may have been affected because effectively they're going to have to get new cards from their bank or their credit card supplier. It has now become a criminal investigation and because it's a criminal investigation uh, when we contacted BA's press office they said they were unable to make a comment. But we did speak to a spokesman from the UK's National Crime Agency and they said that the National Crime Agency was aware of the risk IT report but would not be commenting on it at this time as investigations were ongoing. Just to give you a clue of how hard something like this can be de to detect, RiskIQ said the malicious script consisted of just 22 lines of code. It worked by grabbing data from BA's online payment form and then sending it to the hacker's server once the customer hit the submit button. The cybersecurity firm added that the attackers have apparently been able to gather data from mobile app users as well, because the same script was found loaded into the app on a page describing government taxes and carrier charges. The page in the app is built with the same components as the real website, meaning design and functionality-wise it's a total match, the Risk IQ report noted. The firm pointed out that whoever was behind the attack had apparently decided to target specific brands and that more breaches of a similar nature were likely in the coming months and weeks. Cyber security expert Kevin Beaumont told the BBC that there is a very clear emerging risk where the weakest link in payment processes is being actively targeted. And that weakest link in the chain is often by placing older systems or third-party code into the payment chain. 
and uh, so it just goes to show that we all need to look more at how we check that there is no spurious code that has been injected into our payment process and in a later episode of the GDPR weekly show we'll look at some specific measures that you might wish to take to be able to check that. Some breaking news on this as we go to press it now looks likely that instead of data going missing from the British Airways website from the 21st of August until the 5th of September which was the original statement put out by British Airways and which gave rise to the thought that the payment data of 380,000 transactions had been stolen. It's now believed that the period affected is from August the 15th until the 5th of September. So a whole six days longer than originally had been thought. So if you booked a flight within the period of 15th of August to the 5th of September via the BA website, then I would suggest that you think about contacting your bank and asking them to reissue any debit or credit cards that you may have just to protect your own security whilst the investigation is ongoing. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Another travel company in the news for having a data breach this week is Stenoline, the uh, ferry company who operate uh, largely across the channel to France, although they do also operate across the Irish Sea to Ireland. Stenoline's data breach has been a bit different to the BA data breach. This time it is not customer data that's gone missing, but rather employee data and subcontractor data that has gone missing. And it's believed that the bank accounts and personal details of up to 800 ferry workers are reported to have been hacked. Stenoline discovered that the data had been accessed by hackers who broke into its systems via fraudulent emails. So it was a phishing attempt, as it's known in the trade. If you're not sure about phishing, I'll try and explain that perhaps a little later in this episode, actually. The ferry firm said the data breach was restricted to seafaring staff and that it was confident that no customer information had been accessed. It actually affected those staff only who work on the North Sea or the Irish Sea and only in Stenard's UK subsidiary. The company said it discovered a week ago that hackers had broken into two staff email accounts via phishing emails and it said an unknown amount of personal data, including payroll data, details belonging to up to 800 staff, have been accessed by the hackers. Stenner confirmed that it had informed staff that it had issued a major data breach alert to the Information Commission's office and had set up a dedicated phone line. The ICO has indicated that it's currently investigating and may look to fine Stenner over the incident. In a statement, Stenner told us, we take our responsibility to safeguard our employees' personal information very seriously, as we do with all the data we hold about our people, our customers and our suppliers. We regret that this incident has taken place. We are taking steps with advice from cyber security experts to enhance our systems and processes in a way that will further protect and secure our employees' data, as well as that of our customers and counterparties, in order to minimise the risk of similar incidents happening in the future. So, Two uh, data breach stories this week, both affecting travel companies, but in different ways. 
and obviously if there is any update from either British Airways or Stenoline, we'll bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. An event for your diaries uh, on the 20th and 21st of November 2018 at the XL Conference Centre in London uh, is the Data Protection World Forum. Uh, it's a conference spread over two days. There are a number of GDPR related topics coming up at the conference, including uh, GDPR, the future of marketing and advertising, a GDPR health check, GDPR and HR, how to achieve ongoing compliance. And of course, GDPR and HR is something that we've been talking about in this episode of the podcast. And also business development in a post-GDPR world. And I think that's something as well, which would be of interest to lots of people of just how does GDPR impact upon business development and how do we make sure that business continues to develop for everyone, even accepting the privacy constraints that GDPR places on us. So it's promising to be a really good conference and expo. Excel, if you don't know it, is very easy to get to. It's out in Docklands, just to the east of London. Um, It's by the Jubilee Line for underground. Um, It's also very close to London City Airport. So for visitors from overseas, it's very easy to arrive there. And it also has other good transport links. Uh, It's not great, though, to drive to, it has to be said, so it's a good case to use public transport, uh, most definitely if you can, because it makes your journey there much, much simpler. I'm going to be there on both days. If you'd like to meet up with me during the course of the Data Protection World Forum, then, of course, I'd be delighted to meet with you. Please just drop me an email to podcasts at insurity.co.uk. Uh, with a note of which date, the 20th or the 21st, works best for you. And uh, we can arrange to meet at the conference. Um, I'll be talking some more about the conference in uh, a future episode of the podcast between now and November. And uh, indeed, hopefully we'll be getting to interview one of the organisers and uh, have that discussion. But just a note for your diary, so if you haven't got it in there already, please pencil in the dates, 20th and 21st November at XL in London. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. An interesting event from across the channel this week was that the French privacy regulator, CNIL, the French equivalent to our Information Commissioner's Office, has issued official notices to two French data companies, FIDSUP and TIMO, because both companies were found to be non-compliant with consumer consent rules under GDPR and under French privacy law. Now, FIDSUP and TIMO won't be familiar to most listeners to this podcast probably, but they are location intelligence vendors. They work with retailers and brands, on online to offline advertising and measurement and they work through an SDK into applications on your mobile phone. So your mobile phone tells them where you are and based on where you are these um, companies decide what advertising to display on your phone uh, obviously based on the locality you're in at the time. 
and people who publish applications containing the SDK code from FIDSUP and TIMO are rewarded by way of commission on the advertising. And it's a common model. Uh, this is a happens to be a French model, but there are UK companies doing exactly the same thing, and these are probably companies doing exactly the same thing in every country throughout the EU. Where the issue arose was that the companies had not individually in their privacy notices said that the data was going to be used this way, and more importantly, also the apps incorporating their SDK had not said in their app app privacy notices that the data was going to be used this way. So although the user signing up for the app was asked to give consent, they weren't explicitly being asked to consent to the use of their location data by someone other than the app publisher. And the CNIL, the French ICO, found that this was what was happening. And in the view of CNIL, the consent that was in place did not equal consent to data collection for advertising and marketing purposes by third parties. And interesting as well, and this perhaps comes on to, again, a bit like we were talking last week about how the ICO was now looking at how quickly companies were responding to data subject access requests. In this case, one of CNIL's findings was also that Timo, one of the companies involved in this, was retaining the data for too long for the processing it claimed to be carrying out on the data. Now, too long, I think, as always with data retention, is going to be a subjective issue. But I think it does emphasise the need to ensure you have a good data retention policy and that you have clearly documented how long you retain different pieces of information and why. And I think that's really important. And I'd like to get your feedback on data retention because it's an issue which I know causes some companies concern. They don't quite understand how to best apply this. So if that's you, or you've got some thoughts about data retention, maybe you think, yeah, we've got that sussed, or actually we think we've got some good ideas on that, then please do drop me an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co dot U-K. And I always read all the emails that you send to me. And it'll be interesting to get your feedback. And perhaps I can incorporate that feedback into a later episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. But I think the important point here in this example is the need for anyone who's using perhaps uh, your systems to process their own data, that they need to be clear that you're holding the data too and perhaps what you can do with it. Now, in this instance, CNIL have issued a notice and they've given both companies 30, uh, 90 days, sorry, to 90 days to comply with the notice. And they've said that providing they comply with the notice within 90 days, there'll be no financial penalty. However, failure to comply will potentially result in sanctions but I've given no idea, no clue, what those sanctions might be. And it's really 
important to understand that this is a key factor in GDPR. It's important that people from your privacy policy are able to see where their data may or may not be used. It would be easy to draw a quick conclusion that use by third parties of anonymous location data is not compliant with GDPR if there's been no underlying consumer consent. And consent to one use of location data by a first party does not translate into consent to third parties. Now, I'm not quite so sure I'm ready to instantly leap to that conclusion. It is a possibility that that will become the case, but I'm waiting to see how this case and other cases across Europe pan out before I would actually give a definitive ruling on that. But it is perhaps a case of saying, let's be extra careful. If we know that our application tracks location data, or we know that we as a company make use of location data, or perhaps we ought to double check with our advertising bureau whether they take any notice of location data, then I think it's something we do need to consider and where this will have a broad ramification and why I'm keen not to leap to a instant conclusion is of course because Facebook ads, for those who use ads on Facebook, Facebook ads make a big thing about being able to deliver their ads to people in a specific location. And lots and lots of people use the Facebook APIs, lots of applications on your phone use the Facebook API, perhaps just to log in to their application. But do all of those apps make clear in their privacy policies that the, your location data, where you are right at this moment, will be shared with Facebook and therefore may be shared with Facebook's third-party advertisers? I very much doubt whether most of them do. Now, I'd love to be proven wrong, but um, food for thought. And again, please do let me have your thoughts on this. I think this is something, again, we can come back to in a later issue of the GDPR Weekly Show. So if you're interested in that, then please do drop me a line at podcasts at insurety.co.uk. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. In the standalone item earlier in this episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, I mentioned fishing. Uh, it's not fishing as in going out with a rod and bait, but fishing in the term of P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, which, well, spelt differently, actually functions much the same way. You dangle a bit of bait in someone and you hope that they bite. And the way that fishing works, for those of you who may not come across the term before, is that the person seeking to gain access to your information will send you an email that to all the world looks like it's an official email. It's actually very, very easy to spoof email addresses so it looks like the email has come from whoever it claims to have come from. They often will pick up logos from the organization's website. So it looks like it's got the right logo on it. And often they'll make sure that the help links and so on in the email actually go to the right place on the genuine company's website. So it can be very hard to detect 
that an email is a phishing email. And of course, that's what they're after. They're after making it as difficult as possible. But some telltale clues are generally that if the uh, replied to email address actually doesn't look very credible. And good way of checking that is to check the reply to email address against the reply to email address on an email from that organization that you know to be genuine. So if it's from your bank and you get an email from your bank that you're reading or that looks like it's from your bank that you're really not sure is actually from your bank, then look back through emails, find a previous one from your bank and look to see where the uh, email address reply email address goes to and does it look similar if it doesn't probably you're potentially becoming victim to a phishing attack so if you get an email that you're not expecting from an organization and it can well be an organization that you know well so it might be pretending to be your bank it might be pretending to be your employer as it was in the case of Stenderline have a look at it and if you're not sure if you've got any suspicions at all then pick up the phone and ring the organization that's claimed to have sent you that email and see what they say and if they say oh no lots of people have had those and they didn't come from us then you've just saved yourself a whole lot of bother but if they say oh yeah that is us that's genuine that's a new email address for us then that's probably fine if you want to be doubly safe, don't ring any number that's on the email. Look up the number from a previous email or from your bank statement or from your gas statement or your mobile phone statement and ring that number instead. Because they may be very, very clever and set up a, a false answering service on the number that's in the email. Now, I don't want people to have nightmares about this. You know, phishing attacks have been going on for as long as the internet's been around probably but do try and take care so if you've got a slight suspicion about an email that arrives don't answer it and also importantly if you receive an email you're not expecting and it has an attachment don't not open the attachment leave the attachment alone or delete it as quickly as you can but don't open it especially don't open it if it looks like it's a word document because often that will run a macro on your machine. It will plant some software on your machine and you won't know that that's there. But that software will actually be watching each key that you press from then onwards. So just be careful. We know that phishing attacks are on the increase. And if you get any that you're not at all sure of, do check with the person that claims to have sent that email to you. Whether it actually came from them. Whether it's genuine. I hope that helps explain what phishing is all about. But if you'd like further information, please do let me know. Send, drop me an email at podcast.insurity.co.uk and I'll look to do a more in-depth version of this article in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback. 
by sending an email to podcast at insurety.co.uk. You can find out more about us and insurety at www.insurety.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember, keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.